Fucking peas, right? Fucking peas. <laughs> They're in everything. They're in absolutely They're everything. In fucking everything. Okay. Everything. It's so, shocking how is, is many things. Is it a full blown allergy or an intolerance? I don't have an intolerance to it. It is literally what they don't tell women, right? They don't tell women a lot of shit. But one of the things they really don't tell us, which is actually quite dangerous, is that a lot of pulses and beans, like soybeans and peas, contain a lot of estrogen. So if you are consistently drinking like a carton of soy milk every day, it can upset your menstrual cycle because you're getting a massive barrage of hormones. So I was eating, I would get up in the morning I'd have a vegan protein shake, which was all pea protein. And then I got obsessed with this cereal called Grandma Crunch, which was, again, made out of pea protein. For a snack after that, because I quite fancied something salty, I'd have like these dried peas that were salted, like ready salted dry peas. And then um, for like a salad in like the evening or whatever, or like with my evening meal, I'd always have peas because I was like, well, they're delicious. (laughs) And then, you know, just as a snack, I'd have some mushy peas and then I'd get in a bath and I would just pour peas into the water. (laughs) My whole diet was peas. And so I went to the gynecologist and was like, yeah, my periods are like all over the place. I don't know what's going on. And she was like, what's your diet like and all of this? And then I just had to realize. Peas, peas and more peas. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the three peas, I get my five peas a day. So stupid. But they don't tell you that, to be fair. And then I was drinking soy milk, so that was dumb. Like, no, I was drinking pea milk. I was drinking the, the pea, sprout pea milk. Yeah, that was the last one. It was pea milk. So I was having my protein shake with pea milk. Oh. <laughs> Hello bookworms, welcome to Bookmarks and Booze, where we believe if you're going to slag off a book, do it accurately. Join us each week as three close friends make our way through controversial books and their most brutal reviews. Please note, gentle listener, that we'll be giving you our totally honest opinions with drinks in hand, and this podcast will contain swearing and spoilers. Shagger is the first instalment in professional dominatrix Miss Marilyn's mini-memoir series, Rotten Apple. Miss Marilyn is a well-known and much-loved member of the UK kink scene, and her first book is a brutally honest retelling of some of the most significant parts of both her work and personal life, in the form of her own handwritten art, poetry and descriptions. While Miss Marilyn relishes in retelling some of her most hilarious and shocking tales of debauchery from her rise through the BDSM lifestyle, her memoir also tackles more painful topics with her signature dark humour, laying bare her struggles to heal from self-destructive behaviour, mental illness and sex addiction. As you can probably imagine, this episode is definitely not suitable for work. Trigger warnings for this episode include mentions of addiction, rape, sexual assault and self-harm. If this week isn't for you, we look forward to welcoming you back next time. So I was going to say to Emma, like we have had all these contentious topics where I could have done with being completely riled up today. But I feel like this is completely unnecessary for this episode because this is just a cool topic that we can all get our teeth into. So did you, Sid, before we start, want to give us a whole backstory? Because this was your recommendation for the group. Yeah, it was my recommendation. Um, I've been following Miss Marilyn on Instagram for a while. And I'm a bit of a fan of hers. Just on the (laughs) off chance she might hear this, I'm going to not. I'm going to try not to come off like a sort of crazy stalker, but I think she's pretty neat. So I, 
Pretty she's madly, she's madly in love with you. If you're listening, she's, yeah. she's madly, madly in love Absolutely with you. Absolutely obsessed. Brilliant. <laughs> Had another dream again. There we go. Let's get it all out. Let's get it on the table. <laughs> I have not we had will, enough volume we... for this. <laughs> well, then I saw she was releasing a book and I bought it as soon as I was physically able to. Um, the night she released it, I purchased one of the books. Uh, she says it's a book slash zine and it's one of a series she's hoping to write. She's currently writing number two. So the series of books is called Rotten Apple and this series one is called Shagger. And oh, I'm not yeah. going to butcher the lovely Scottish accent she has, but I imagine it would sound something like Shagger. That was so good. Um, <laughs> the trill was amazing. I Yeah, I can't do accents. I just sound as middle class as I am. Um, but I follow her on Instagram. She's fucking hilarious. She's yeah. so funny. She is hot, but she's also very, very funny. Did um, you mention what that her Instagram handle is Margot Throbby? Margot Throbby. Like Margot Robbie. What an absolute fucking legend and or genius. Check her out because she's fab and we all love her pretty much indiscriminately, I believe, don't we? Mm. I just thought it was so, a fun one for us to do. I also thought it might be a nice change for us to read something that uh, A, we enjoyed. And yes. B, it's just sort of a light, fun read. Um and I, I would be surprised if any of us didn't enjoy this. I mean, it's a different kind of book from what we've covered in the past. During the marketing, say marketing, when she was talking about this book on her Instagram, a, a lot of what she said is, you're probably not going to like me after reading this because it's a very warts and all account of being a professional dominatrix. And I found the opposite. I found how candid she was really made me warm to her even more. I found her so relatable, which I think maybe says more about me than anything, but um, I found her extremely relatable. Her dark humour is just my exact favourite type of humour. I loved it. I just, I'll straight up say I absolutely adored it. This is going to sound so stupid and self-indulgent and ridiculous, but I actually, this book actually made me realise a bit about myself because I, I read it and I didn't like her. I got on with it at the beginning when she was all laughing and stuff. And then she started talking about she's the other woman and she doesn't want to be the other woman in these relationships. But then she's like, when I'm professionally there, often I give people advice about how to trick their partners. And I thought, imagine if that was my partner. Like, okay, she admits herself, you know, I don't really care if my partner is seeking sex elsewhere. It's more mechanical for me. It's like a sort of biological thing. Whereas for someone monogamous, I was like, that would really upset me if I found out that my partner had gone to a professional dominatrix. That would be really sad. And I'd feel really like, oh, you kept that from me. That's very duplicitous. But then I thought, do you know what? I realized it was a problem with me. Like she was just so candid and so raw. She and was so, so out there with yeah. everything she said. When she was like, oh, I just, I was so addicted to sex. I was fucking a crackhead. And I knew he was going to give me an STD. And I was like, God, that's awful. How could you put this in this book? Like, it's funny. That's really sad and awful. And then I thought, that's actually, how stuck up do I sound? And that's a horrible thing to say when someone's opening up and being completely candid and raw. And she says, open me. I'm a piece of shit. I know I'm a piece of shit. I know I've done things wrong. Here they are. She's unapologetic about it. I like to think I'm very open-minded when it comes to stuff like this and sex, but I actually found a lot of it really shocked me and made me feel quite, like, uncomfortable. Okay. Wow. That is really interesting. I think this is good, though, because it's good to have a difference in opinion. No, I'm That was all. (laughs) That's a problem with me. It's a me problem that I have, that I am not comfortable with this, and I should be more comfortable with it. I think you feel the way you feel. You can't control your reaction to something like this, and... I think acknowledging that is a good thing. 
I always I can't even remember who said this it's quite it's quite a famous quote and it sort of says art is supposed to make you feel something and whatever that is and so if it's done that it's done its job and I, I very much still feel that way about books as much as I do about paintings or whatever else I got a real opposing surge of emotion reading this book um I felt utter like relief I felt much more if someone was able to be this open and this honest about especially their feelings on infidelity and stuff like that and, and open about the fact that they just basically don't care it made me feel like sort of slightly less alone because okay it's as you both know and um, this may be news to some people depending on who's listening to this but bar um, my current partner and actually one other guy that um, I was with for sort of the six month period I have cheated on all my boyfriends every single one sorry dad and mom please stop listening to this immediately but yeah I can't say at the time that I felt guilty because I didn't I on reflection I had a bit of an issue with respect of men and, and I didn't respect them and I do honestly think that reading that someone else has kind of gone through this it made me feel better and it made me feel a little bit less like a piece of shit and maybe it shouldn't maybe I just am as well and that's fine but you know obviously we all sort of grow and change I think that yeah it was it was good to read it and and to sort of realize that I was not like the only one and she verbalized a lot of dark stuff like I think everyone has got to that point where they think some of the things that she said like about infidelity and the thrill of it and the rush of it yes living that lifestyle where she's like I can either live boringly and live and be a good person or I can live my life like it was where I was just on the edge and completely and utterly destroying everything in my path to get that next high but then the other side that she acknowledges which I think you never admit that it's just the fucking thrill of having that like oh my god like it's just so naughty and secret and more people think that than than I think and maybe that's why it made me so uncomfortable because it was just addressing things and it's hot man like whether you like it or not like they make reels of porn about this stuff I was just thinking Emma that it's good that you have a slightly different opinion or the book made you feel a slightly different way when you were reading it because I think that is the whole point of the book and she kind of said on her Instagram and I think she even says at the beginning of the book I know a lot of people aren't going to like this I think it's if something has happened, then it's interesting that she's just addressing it like it's taken place now and there's nothing you can do to change it. So you might as well be honest about it, especially the bit where she talks about how a lot of her clients that she will have as a professional dominatrix are usually in relationships. I sympathized with that part. I could kind of draw from that from my own life. Um, I was a cam girl for just over a year. And most of the kind of more niche fetish requests I would get would be from men that were in relationships because they were too embarrassed to ask their partners. They thought it might make them think differently of them. Usually, and again, this isn't the case with everyone, but nine out of 10 times, that does mean that there's like a breakdown in the relationship because I do think you should be able to communicate with your partner what turns you on. I'm a serial monogamist. I've never cheated. I'm shit at lying. It's really fucking annoying. So I did find that aspect of my job quite difficult at first to kind of consolidate what I was doing with the moral implications of these men having wives and girlfriends. But I just kind of, I just kind of said, you know what, that's, that's nothing to do with me. This is to do with the men. It's, it's not really like I can't screen every single man that comes to me and, get him to lie about whether or not he has a wife or girlfriend it's just not practical and it is an unpleasant feeling of course it is because you know sister solidarity and all that stuff I don't want to be 
doing sexual things with anyone's partner. Of course I don't. If I could only have done it with single men, I would have, but I think you'd lose 90% of your clientele. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think it comes from a place of privilege. The fact that you were doing that as a job, like you were doing that as a stream of income. It's not like you were doing it for fun and you were going out and being like, I'm just one of those girls who goes after married men. Like you were literally, I think it takes on a slightly different moral slant when you're doing it for money purposes and business purposes. There is a little bit of like, I'm not necessarily responsible for what my client is doing as a personal thing you can't vet every single person who comes to you you know what I would say though is when I first started um I kind of tricked myself I would just say to myself oh I'm the same as born it's the same as born talking to me is the same as born and it's fucking not because I would feel well I am completely fine with the idea of my partner watching porn whereas if I were to find out like you say that my partner had even online been communicating with or visited a sex worker I'd, I'd be upset about it there's no point in lying of course I would I think there would be an element of betrayal there even if, if if on paper you can say there shouldn't be because he's just going for a service it doesn't it doesn't work like that with the old emotions does it and that's kind of also you know what I was saying earlier about with certain people where I felt like I would never disrespect them in that way and I wouldn't want to treat them that way and then other people where I felt zero guilt at all I've been cheated on back and it feels horrible and I know that but at the same time, then there is also that part in me that at the time when that happened to me, that was like, well, who am I to judge in a way? Yeah. Do you know what and I mean? It's, it's interesting. She addresses that in the book as well, how heart wrenching it was for her to be cheated on herself, like the turmoil she went through and just, I can't fucking believe this. Is this what I've been doing? And the guilt and everything. The fact that it was in the form of, I don't know if they're real or not, look like excerpts from her diary. That I loved like, that oh. as well about the format of the book. So for those of you who have not read it, it's obviously um, there's bodies of text, but there's lots of scans, pieces of artwork and pages that have been written down on like line day four and sort of general photos and things like that as well. The Mm. letter she wrote after or the the diary entry, I think it was she wrote after she'd been cheated on was I felt that so I could have written that yeah like how yeah. how do I ever feel better how do I just wake up and not think about this I just feel like I'm dying <laughs> I was like yeah I love that she went there she went there with everything and that was she my did. favorite thing about the book and it's you know my favorite thing about her I would love to um if uh, Miss Marilyn if you're listening to this we would love to get you on the podcast one day but I just I think she's fab it takes guts man it takes guts to talk about this stuff because also moving into sort of other parts of the book she mentioned a lot about her mental health struggles and about her sexual health struggles and yeah it was so brutally honest going through her Instagram and looking at her online presence well not noticeably anyway she doesn't edit her photos she doesn't edit herself like a normal Instagram post. She just puts po- photos of herself up. And it then makes her more attractive. But that's the thing it does. Like, <laughs> and, and the book, like most people, they go, oh my God, this is raw. This is honest. This is me. And they don't put the shit bits in. They just put the bits like, like slightly funny, but a bit embarrassing stuff. They don't put the bits in where they're like garbage, you know, where they're <laughs> like, they're just fucking people over left, right and center, just for the pure thrill of it. And she just literally is like, yeah, I did that. And I look back and I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't even, again, like turning it back to me because I'm a selfish prick. Like (laughs) I read it and I was like, how many times have I ever really looked back and been like, God, I was a piece of shit then. Like really to myself. Yeah. I've only just, we had a conversation about this the other day, I think, where I was like, I've only just started doing that now. Yeah. Turning 29 this year. 
I've just started looking at my past actions throughout my teens and my twenties and gone like crap, like that sucked. I sucked. You Why know, did I do that. Like there was, it was unforgivable. And you like to recolor things in your mind and be like, oh well, that person did this, and I was slightly justified. No, no, you weren't. You were just a piece of shit. You were just a selfish <laughs> bitch, and you just wanted that thing. And you, you know, like, and she just actually puts it all in a book and then and then gives it to the world, like. The brass balls to do that is absolutely terrifying. I mean, we've spoken about how we're probably going to get some hate for putting this podcast out. Someone, probably multiple people are going to pick us apart in various ways. And it's a little bit intimidating. I cannot imagine what it's like to put something like this out into the world. Mm. I think it's probably in a way very cathartic. And then in another way, absolutely fucking terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, like so it must be so liberating in so many ways because you're just like, you know what, whoever chooses to be my friend after this, who chooses to be with me, whoever I meet that's new in my life from this point onwards, knows a lot of the grit, a lot of the that quote unquote ugly stuff is out there. And so if people then do choose you, is that sweeter? Hmm. I would say yes. It takes a lot more balls to have intimate connections with people when you're completely yourself because you're also leaving your true self out there to be rejected it's not exactly like amazing prose or anything you know it's not but it's not meant to be it's not meant to be written as an amazing groundbreaking novel that is akin to poetry it's it's really not it's a completely honest just written by someone who is a self-professed amateur not a writer at all and it reads like that it's an easy read so we can't really review it in the same way we've reviewed novels and fiction, but I do think you can review it for how enjoyable the book is. I, I really enjoyed it. I think even if, Emma, maybe you can speak to this, even if you kind of struggled with some of the content, it's never boring. No. no. It wasn't necessarily the graphic descriptions of her job. Like that I was totally fine with, like men shitting on her and stuff, and then when she gets the shit on the radiator at the beginning, that I was in hysterics. <laughs> it was so funny. And I thought when you recommended this book, that's what the book would be about. I thought it was going to be a complete overview of her best stories and scenarios and things that she's had with her work. I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be so funny. But it got so in-depth about her personal kind of struggles and the sex addiction. You know, I was looking on her Instagram before I came on today and she was saying, oh, there's been a lot of people saying that me saying as a sex worker that I'm a sex addict, it paints these sex workers in a really bad light and it's really problematic and all of this. So I'm not going to read this excerpt when I talk about being a sex addict. And I was like, even despite all of that that she put in there, raw, brutal honesty of her having sex so much that she literally has vaginismus. Is that how you say it? Vaginismus, I, th- I want to say. It's like when it tightens up the vagina and it's incredibly painful. It's like an automatic thing. She described it as like having someone putting hot needles into your vagina after every time you have sex. And she essentially said she thinks it's because she's having to masturbate 10 times a day and have sex with at least four different people and things like that. And I'm like, if that's not sex addiction, that you literally are continuing to punish yourself despite the fact it's massively hurting you and your body and you physically can't. For people in her industry to then be like, oh, that's problematic. I was like, that's horrific. Absolutely. That's the stuff that made me uncomfortable where I was like, God, you, it's just so destructive a lot of it. And it's very taboo to talk about sex workers. You like to go, oh, it's liberated and all of that. But mm-hmm. there are sex workers out there and people in that industry who were just completely and utterly in the throes of sex addiction. And it's rejected in the industry and, and not talked about. Denying someone's individual experience 
or saying that within this large subgroup of people that there isn't going to be one person that goes through that experience just because oh it might make the collective look bad I just I really disagree with Mm. on a fundamental level because it's not accurate Sid, you have a bit more kind of accustomed to that world. You know a bit more about it. You're a little more knowledgeable knowledgeable in this area than, say, I am. Oh, I did sex work and I frequent sex clubs. And okay, good. Okay, I didn't want to say anything. We can say no secrets here. It's cool. Like I've learned that if you put shit on the internet, it never really goes away. (laughs) So that's out there. So have you found that in your experience of that, you have come across people who you know from that world who you think, okay, you might have a sex addiction. To be honest, I have never really thought about it. Um, Until I read this book, I had very naive kind of, not even really opinion because I hadn't really fully formed it, but rough idea in my head that sex addiction happened to sort of middle-aged to older men and they all sat in a circle and felt sad. And I didn't really think that much more about it. I don't know if you guys have ever read the book Choke by Palinuk, the guy that wrote Fight Club. Yeah, no, I haven't. Wow. Uh, book podcast, everyone. Um, but I kind of imagined it as that. And then reading this account really kind of made me reassess that half opinion that I had. Um, I obviously meet a lot of different characters um, <laughs> doing what I do. I spent yesterday working the hatch on a very well-known sex club and kind of had to sign everyone in. And that's how I spent my day. What's um, the hatch? Oh, the hatch is not anything fun or exciting. It's literally like, can I have some money for you to enter the building, please? Yeah, <laughs> oh, right. I was going to yeah. say, like, like, of house, yeah. the, the coat bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, the hatch. It's like, what is the hatch? Is it strap a man off first It's like where you pay to get in. <laughs> and then you just feed coins into his rectum. Um, no, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's just, you know at a club where you have to pay money to get in that's yeah, me okay, going fair enough. you're the bouncer um, basically <laughs> if you knew how tall Sid was you'd realize I was <laughs> the very short very busty bouncer <laughs> I can't say that I've ever really kind of thought about anyone's uh, proclivity towards sex addiction um I think the the natural thing to do when you read something you said you made a joke earlier that you were bringing it back to you because you're a selfish bitch I don't think you are I think it's natural to apply what you're reading to yourself and I certainly recognized a lot of what she was saying I don't have a sex addiction but she goes into the nuance of why it is she wants to have sex all the time and she describes wanting to feel beautiful and wanted even if it's just for a little while and then when the sex runs out and she has to return to that kind of baseline it feels cavernous and painful and I am the same age as you guys I'm turning 29 this year am I yeah I'm turning 29 this year so I'm a little bit older and I think that lately my relationship with sex has become a lot healthier than it was when I was in my early 20s and in my teens certainly um Mm. I practiced safe sex in the sense that I always used a condom but it certainly wasn't safe when I was going back to strangers houses that I met on a night out who were say a lot older than me or I barely knew or anything like that and I would do that kind of thing a lot and I think that if I think about that a lot of it was because I was actually quite sad and I also wanted to feel kind of just good for a bit and it didn't really matter who it was so I think I I really understood that and I really kind of resonated with it I suppose it's just that but like all the time which I imagine is something that's really hard to live with have you guys ever seen the film Nymphomaniac 
Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, you do see that sort of as it progresses through because it's kind of in a three part series, isn't it? I think. Yeah. And it goes through into the point where she's approaching 30s or early 30s, where you've sort of gone from the beginning of your sexual life in your teens through to, if you're lucky, (laughs) through to um, 10 years later or, you know, 15 years later or whatever. And then you kind of realise that she's actually hurting herself through sex, essentially. There's another similarity, isn't there? I don't know how well you remember the film, but there's a scene where I think she says something along the lines of, my cunt just stopped working. And she just stops feeling all sensation. Yeah. She completely loses her shit because she can't chase the high of an orgasm or, or even, you know, sexual sensation at all that she has been using to kind of chase away her demons. And it just stops working. Her body just gives up on her. And again, I think there was there's a lot of parallels here in this book. Yeah, and I, I got the definition through actually of the vaginismus. Oh my god, I'm so sorry to anybody who knows anything about medicine. This is just outrageously shit. But um, it's when the vagina suddenly tightens up when you try to insert something into it and can be painful and upsetting. It can be treated, but it's the body's automatic reaction to the fear of some or all types of vaginal penetration. You have no control over it. And whenever penetration is attempted, your vaginal muscles tighten up on their own, but to quite reasonable proportion. And let me tell you, if you don't have a vagina, if you ever <laughs> get cramps or anything like that, it can be fucking painful. So I did really empathize with her that she couldn't fulfill herself without being in basically extreme, extreme pain. She said that there was a questionnaire for sex addiction that was it was like nine questions long. Mm. And I actually answered seven of them positively. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I did. I know I have a, a, a very high sex drive, but at the same time, like, I never really think about it because, you know, I, I discuss it with you guys, but it's not something that I discuss with a, a wide array of folk. I think it's something that as a, a society, we we just have such shame attached to sex in general. Echoing what I said earlier, it's great that this doesn't have that. Um, but I think also that buries a lot of these issues where, where people actually are, they're suffering because they, they don't really have anyone to talk to. And the fact she said she went to this sex addiction, you know, equivalent to AA, she was the only woman there and much younger than a lot of people there. And it put her off from seeking help. And I, I think that that is an issue. Yeah, I mean, I don't know whether there's, going back to the question earlier, I, I didn't take from this book that there was necessarily a correlation between sex addiction and sex work. No, I me neither. Sex no. addiction can, can happen to anyone. Um, mm. I suppose if you're in sex work, it's perhaps a outlet for that. But I think there's probably a lot of people out there that are struggling with sex addiction and just have to, you know, carry on working in Morrison's, which... <laughs> Yeah, for real. Well, and, you know, from the little I do know about addiction in general is that it is, you know, your brain is wired slightly differently and you basically, you're an addictive personality and then you pick your poison in a way. So that could be alcohol, it could be drugs and it could be sex. I I also saw, and I don't know if Sid, because I know you're more of an avid follower as well. She mentioned her sex addiction on on one of her stories Mm -hmm. and there was another sex worker that actually turned around and obviously, yeah, she was getting flack for, for the book, but kind of denied sex addiction in a way Uh, yeah I mean from what I got from that I only actually caught the tail end of it but from what I understood she um 
Miss Marilyn was was talking about her struggles with sex addiction and another sex worker said that it's problematic to call it sex addiction because it puts uh, the love of sex or sexual pleasure into a negative light, which I disagree with because mm. what Miss Marilyn was talking about was how it has negatively affected her life and how, you know, she has experienced medical downsides because of this addiction. And I think from what I could see, I think the other sex worker was... Uh, a little bit of virtue signaling and going, you shouldn't feel ashamed of sex. And it's like, no, you shouldn't be ashamed of sex. That's not what she's saying. But there is, no. so, there is so, such a thing as too much of a good thing. And <laughs> <laughs> much as we wouldn't like to admit it. Chocolate's um, great, but I don't want it for every meal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when it's actually, you know, causing you to have like negative physical symptoms in the form of pain and damaging your mental health in ways as well, anyone would stop and kind of go, um, you know, maybe I need to address this. And that's kind of like when she concludes the book, she says about that thrill versus contentment piece. I think it's something that actually particularly women a lot because uh, through the structure of society, you know, have that kind of dilemma where, I mean, they've just made a massive series about it on Netflix called Sex Life, where there's this woman who has this amazing sex life with her crazy music producer ex-boyfriend, or then she's married to this wonderful person that she has sort of shit sex with, basically, or like average sex with. Mm. And, you know, she feels tempted and she feels discontented. And I think that that's something that we don't acknowledge enough. It's very like romanticized that whole you are a woman, like you settled down, stuck with the kids, and then this man comes and you know, like rocks your world and all of this, and like the whole fifty shades of grey thing. Like I was just a small town girl and then yeah, living in a lonely world. world. Living in a lonely world. <laughs> I never touched my vagina before until this man what, showed me where how. Have you been, Anastasia? Where have you been? <laughs> where have you been all my life, Virgin? Oh, that's that's, that's, a, that's a whole other podcast right now. I'm excited. Yeah. Let's not. Let's save all this this uh, gold tier content for uh, the (laughs) an E.L. James episode. But um, But my point is, yeah, that let me just actually say what she says in the book for people that haven't read it. She basically says at the end, I have to choose between being a good person and being in a more kind of calm lifestyle where I am not chasing these thrills and going completely crazy and be content but kind of bored or I can go and live that life where I'm constantly chasing D basically and just getting myself into more and more adrenaline fueled scenarios in order to feel alive and feel so good about myself and live life to its fullest but it's just so damaging for everyone around me and I've sort of bulldozed so many people around me that I love and it's not fair and that the right thing to do is to live the more boring lifestyle but but be content and not be causing harm to others around you I might have butchered that. She might listen to this and be like, this girl's a massive prick, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I got that impression from it in a way. Like, it, Yeah, she came across as a sort of like, I'll always have those like thrills to think of and I'll never not miss that. But at the same time, like being contented and peaceful is not maybe the choice I would have made, but it's what's going to ultimately otherwise happy life. It can be quite difficult if you're in sort of a, a more traditional quote unquote relationship set up to sort of manage a very high sex drive and then have your other life as it were like you know your family life I think that the fact that she's discussing that that balance is something that you have to sort of come to terms with in in your own scenario is great what was your guys's favorite bit of the book I'll start I liked when she got her hand stuck in a butthole (laughs) (laughs) oh he was just sobbing (laughs) that was a left of field moment 
Oh, what? Where she um, allowed that man to grieve properly for the death of his father by giving him such a good fisting. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed that bit. I really did. <laughs> I love this sketch. There's a sketch in there of um, like Cupid shooting a guy down, and it's like that hurts you, little prick. <laughs> and then there was a poem in there: "Less girl, more monster." That was my absolute favorite bit. I don't know if I should read the whole thing or not. I think by the time this podcast Good. comes out, she will have actually sold all of the books from this batch. So I can't imagine that spoilers or anything like that are going to be an issue because I don't think she's printing anymore. Okay, let's do a little story time, children. So, Less Girl, More Monster, uh, Miss Marilyn. I don't want to be pretty, called sexy or hot. I don't want to be gorgeous, called cute. Fuck the lot. I'd rather breathe fire, crush skulls, scare the kids. I want to have cunt tattooed on my eyelids. I don't want to be polite. I want to growl and hiss. I want to stand up when I'm taking a piss. For my hair to be so tuggy, it simply cannot be brushed. To smell strongly of petrol and not something from Lush. To punch people in the face when they won't get out of my way. Or to shatter windows with a scream if I have a bad day. Make people bleed from across the room, live gnarled in a cave, sleep in a mouldy, cold tomb. To never be scared walking home late at night because my saber-toothed fangs mean that I'll win the fight. Don't tell me I'm pretty, call me a formidable foe. Trust me, I won't look so good when I'm biting off your down low. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. But I love it. I thought it was so good. You know, I know what you said earlier, Sid, about her not being, you know, Jane Eyre or anything like that in that sense. But I actually think she's wildly articulate. I mean, reading the book, she she really doesn't mince her words in a great way. I'd buy the second one, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I really like the poem that she wrote all in Scottish. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. has the English translation to the right of it. I'm not going to attempt to read it. <laughs> um, that's, but it's that's wise. I really wish I hadn't have done an accent earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically that. saying that men talk the talk, but actually women often have the higher sex drive and want sex more. Yeah. Yes. The number of women that I know that want more sex and the men who are like kind of okay with once a day, but then society has told us to be demure and actually we're all just like, fuck it, we want the D. So I loved it. I thought that was one of the best ones in terms of the actual flow of it as well. And to have the the English translation, oh, it really, really tickled me. Yeah. And that was kind of, I suppose, what I was trying to get at earlier. You know, the fact that there are a lot of women out there with very high sex drives that are the ones that are sort of compromising. And even though you know, Miss Marilyn has this self-confessed sex addiction and she's had all these fallouts because of it. That's still something that average quote-unquote women do go through. It doesn't necessarily have to be because of sex addiction. So I thought it was very relatable. Again, I suppose it's the same as that idea of the kind of person that has a sex addiction. It's yeah. the same thing with the kind of person in the relationship that has the higher sex drive. We've always been taught that it's the man. But yeah. I don't think that's always, well, I know that's not always the case. Yeah, definitely in some relationships, but certainly not all. And I agree with you, Emma, you know, more, if anything, the opposite from my experience. We haven't even addressed um, the fact that she was sexually assaulted yet. Yeah, that's also something that I've found myself empathizing with. Hmm. Because I think at this point, she'd sort of got herself a bit of a, the way she writes it, she'd got herself a bit of a rep as being a kind of girl that would do anyone. and. 
I think that when you are kind of known as that good time gal, it can be hard to say, actually, no, that person raped me. And yeah. it can be even harder when that person is a friend. And it can be even harder when you went to that person's house willingly. And it can be even harder when you got into that person's bed willingly. And you find yourself feeling like, if I tell anyone about this, it's going to sound like I'm making it up. Yeah. And it's such a easy situation to find yourself in and such a difficult one to as horrible as it is to say explain your way out of as women we feel the need to prove that we have been sexually assaulted at the risk of being accused of making it up quite frankly it really summed up to me that dual dialogue you get from people who have these kind of very traditionalist views where they're like how could that woman have got herself into that situation and then the same breath they're like don't make a fuss why are you being over emotional don't be just rude and mouthy in social situations as a woman but at the same time why didn't you just say no and why didn't you put up more of a fight and I'm like you can't have both of those things at the same time Either we're not mouthy at all and we you, and you would easily walk into a situation like that because you don't want to upset anyone or you're mouthy and then you get into a situation like that and you're able to get out of it because you can tell them to fuck off and it's absolutely fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do, I do. And yeah. I can absolutely see myself in that situation. Yeah, I can and as me. well. you go over to and she's not there and how how rude would you feel especially if it was like what 18 19 at the time if you turned up to someone's house bottle of wine card for them and the um partner wasn't there and it's just two guys and you're like oh god you get that sinking feeling in your stomach but you think you know what i I don't want to be a dick i can't just leave and be like well fuck you guys you know like this isn't what i asked for and then suddenly you're freezing okay you went you had a bit to drink it was so plausible that you could have ended up in that situation so plausible but also so easily manipulated by the wrong person well and she said the same you know and i really my heart ached for for that younger version of her in that instance because we all know the uk in winter scotland's colder than the south and it's freezing and you're on somebody's sofa, you know, and he's going, oh, well, you can get in and don't be funny about it. And you're thinking, well, so, OK, I'm either going to get zero sleep and just feel really uncomfortable and cold all night long. Or I'm going to put myself in a situation I don't feel comfortable in and I, I can't go home. Off the top of my head, there's probably more than this, but off the top of my head, I can count three times that so-called friends of mine, male friends, have slept in a bed with me and tried to take advantage of me. And yeah. we have been, or succeeded in taking advantage of me. And we have been very close friends, friends for years. Nothing's ever happened. Oh, it's freezing. Let's just share a bed. Three times. It's- that happened to me one time as well. I had someone get in bed with me where I basically was like, no, I'm tired. Go away. And it was my bed as well, where I had people around and just took their clothes off and got in bed with me. You know, and you say it now as an adult with more agency. The three of us, separate from this podcast, have discussed various scenarios we all got into you know well we got into again (laughs) that we were put into Um, we got ourselves into well you know what though as young women as teenage girls that's the prime example isn't it that you know we consider all three of us ourselves feminists and i just used the vernacular (laughs) i'd like to do a bad feminist moment to make you feel better the other day i was watching house of wax you guys don't know paris hilton dies in it sort of what the whole movie marketed itself about um, not Paris Hilton necessarily dying, but I like the film. And uh, I forgot that she's meant to be pregnant in it. We got that little bit at the beginning where she goes, oh, I think I'm pregnant. And I was watching it with Chris and I went, oh my God, they can't do that to her if she's pregnant. That's awful. And then I thought, they can't do it to her if she's not pregnant, Sid. What the fuck? <laughs> 
but you're taught this like over and over again and so you know you use the language you just do isn't you know, it mad that every single one of us has a story about being in a bed and people who are either your friends or just randos, like dudes, getting in and trying it on? Like literally every single one of us in this conversation has that story. Like I have that story as well. I sure. fell asleep at a house party. Someone right. said, oh, go up to, it was like 8am and everyone was like off their tits and I was not doing that sort because I'm a good girl and um, <laughs> I'd just been drinking. So it came to 8am, I was like, I'm so tired. I'm literally falling asleep on the sofa. And so someone said, oh, go upstairs and use the bedroom upstairs because um, one of their housemates was away. And so I went up crawled into this random person's bed, was like on top of the covers, just fast asleep. And a dude comes in who'd been just there at the party and obviously thought I'd gone up there to pass out because I was too drunk. And I wasn't, I was pretty much sobered up by that point, which is why I was so sleepy. And so he came up and he was like, hey, and he just started taking his clothes off and getting into bed with me. And I said, and I shouted at the top of my voice, what the fuck are you doing? And then he started shouting because he was embarrassed. He said, oh, I was just coming in to check if you're all right. And I was like, I have no idea who you are. I don't know what your name is. Why are you taking off your clothes to check if I'm all right? And then the two girls who were there, who I'm not going to say who their names are, but if they listen to this, they'll know who they are. They came up and were like, oh, sorry, she's, you know, she's obviously had a bit to drink. She's obviously <gasps> just making a bit of fuss. Oh. And we're really quite like, oh, Emma, you know. Shame on you, girls, if yeah. you're listening. Yeah. Shame. And shame. I've not spoken to them since because, like, that, and we were young at the time. We were in, like, 1920. That's no excuse, that. though. And I was like, like, cool, so I'm the bad guy here. And I remember saying, well, what should I have done? They're like, oh, it's just a misunderstanding. She's, and I'm like, it's not a misunderstanding. <laughs> Absolutely no. not. Absolutely you know. not. This is the point, you know, you read this stuff and they will no doubt balk at the content of this book, but I think it's all very important. I think that the discussions on mental health in there as well, you know, mm. the fact that she has bipolar, but also um, schizoaffective. She said, oh, I can talk about one because it's a tag name mental illness, but the other one, you know, people really still have a huge stigma attached to and, so much of what she discusses is so taboo you know young attractive woman's sex addiction plus various mental health issues plus being raped at a young age when she had a a bit of a reputation for sleeping with a bunch of people which shouldn't matter you know let's be honest but again it just it just strengthens the narrative against her yeah because people will use it against her oh for sure and it's so hard to Emma, when you said your story then, it surprises me that you had the will to assert yourself like that because myself included, when I was a teenager, I, I think it's so difficult to, you haven't established your own boundaries yet or your own yeah. kind of worth. You don't even know who you are. Get walked all over. And I look back on some of the situations I was in and I wish I'd have kicked off more. I wish yeah. I'd have screamed. I wish I'd have put up a fuss. I wish I'd have like punched some fucking dudes in the dicks. I never did. I never did. It's crazy to think that she was a dominatrix at that point and she still was in that situation where she wasn't able to say no, you know? No, and then just to quietly leave in the morning and to get a text from him when she was at work saying, oh, don't tell anyone. Because mm. I'll basically that get you to lose your job. She said no several times quite clearly and was upset and he didn't care. And so she said, I just sort of went along with it because I wanted it to be over. That was such a poignant moment for me because I remember having had similar situation happen to me you both know me I'm a pretty feisty person in general (laughs) I don't I don't balk at saying what I think and I had a scenario like that with an ex-boyfriend who shall remain nameless and um 
I froze. I completely froze after saying no, I froze because, you know, I don't know why my body just did. And I don't think it's something that you can control. Your body does things in trauma that you don't expect. And I mean, in the interest of we're commending this woman for being so candid in her book, I very much understood when she said that she went along with it. And in fact, I would go as far Mm. as to say I have had a situation where I said no. And then when the no wasn't heeded, I encouraged him so that he would finish and it would be over. Yes. Yeah, exactly. She said so much that she sort of played up to it to get it to be get it over with. And then afterwards, the terrible thing about that is I found myself the next day going, well, how on earth can I maintain that that was non-consensual when I pretended to enjoy myself so that he would stop? Because then you think, well, if I tell anyone, he's just going to go, she was screaming for it. She loved it. It's difficult to get people to understand. And again, I'm very lucky that I've not been through a situation like that that I can really remember that was that openly coercive. There were things that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with, but nothing like to that level. But I imagine once you get to that point where you're like, okay, this person isn't going to stop, it then becomes about survival. So you just do anything that you can to get out of that situation. And they're not going to kill you or anything, but to survive, we hope you go into survival mode. Well, yeah, we hope. For her to, again, admit that that is what happened to her and, and that she never, until many years later, revealed it. I mean, I've not discussed this, you know, with my family at all. And yeah, you know, it's something that not a lot of people have the will or the capacity to understand, to be blunt. I don't think a lot of people want to have to put themselves in that situation enough to empathize with what that might be like. It's nuance. Exactly like you were saying before, it's nuance. You know, people like to, not like to, but people tend to associate the word rape with uh, someone being attacked in a dark alley by a stranger, whereas most cases of rape are by people that the victim knows. Yeah, partners, boyfriends or even people that have like you say friends like in this instance I loved in the book where she gave a trigger warning and said please skip to the picture of the bunny rabbit (laughs) (laughs) if if you don't want to read this the bunny rabbit with the carrot strap on the carrot strap on thank you I was wondering what that was it really sort of softened me pre-reading the story of, of that with her this book is a bit of an emotional roller coaster so I think it can be quite hard to go from having a laugh to then reading something so as you say Emma so kind of serious it's definitely a very emotive book it's short but you get a lot in those short pages I think you know what I actually also found quite sad about it was at the end she says I don't know who I would be without my relationship with sex and I couldn't possibly ever go sober so to speak because I'm only funny because I'm this obsessed with sex and all of my humor comes and I was like that's so sad that you think that because her humor so obviously doesn't just come from that like she's very very naturally funny yeah I I feel like I've been saying this a lot throughout this podcast but I have a version of that. I kind of sometimes feel like, and the name of the podcast is Bookmarks and Booze, lest we forget. I have a fairly healthy relationship with alcohol, don't get me wrong. But I, throughout my early 20s and teens, would get drunk and do crazy things, absolutely ridiculous, crazy things. And I would kind of be the life and the soul of the party because I'd be so drunk, I had no inhibitions. And when I started drinking a bit less as I got a bit older and started 
just you know enjoying wine because it tastes nice rather than a bottle of vodka because it gets me shit faced I worried that I wasn't going to be that fun anymore because I wasn't I just kind of wanted to have a nice chill night and I didn't really feel inclined to jump in a fountain or yeah (laughs) do anything like that or you know try and get on the main stage at a festival or or do any of those things (laughs) you can still be fun and still you without having that yeah totally well you you know I've I've been in a similar relationship with alcohol and most people that know me will know frankly but mine just happened a little later but escapism is a huge element to a lot of this and it's quite apparent to sort of her relationship with sex being similar to that I definitely know in the past I've used alcohol to sort of escape you know either social anxiety or my current feelings where I've not felt like I could process them properly or whatever everyone associates sex with a very positive thing whereas mm-hmm. alcohol does have negative connotations actually it's like you know what you can use anything to a negative slant absolutely that is why my rule is drink when you're happy not when you're sad through lockdown I mean my god I'm sure loads of people felt the same I mean I was drinking to forget I was <laughs> I was drinking to not be stuck in my flat 23 hours of the day and um, I know a lot of other people were as well you said to me, Sid, it was pretty obvious that you were drinking, but it wasn't for fun anymore. Sex is wonderful. Like sex can be great. It can be earth shatteringly brilliant. It can change a whole damn week, but it can also become not fun anymore. We've all had those nights where you wake up the next day and you're walking home or getting the bus home or getting a cab home or whatever. And you have a nice big cry and you have a Walk shower. And it's never Yeah. Sit in the bottom of the shower and do a big cry. Do a big cry and then watch Legally Blonde and have another big cry and can never be comfortable enough. She was disassociating from her body in a way to use sex to get her something. And her body kind of actually went, um, hello, this is affecting me too. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you touched on that because actually that was something that I wanted to mention earlier when we were talking about how her badge just kind of went, no, thank you, close the business. Mm -hmm. She was still wanted to have sex. She still was pursuing sex at every corner but her body said to her no no enough's enough stop it now and just shut down and I find that on a biological level so interesting that your body can just go right come on enough of that it knows and we've been taught to be so disconnected from it through the, the patriarchy generally but also through positive reinforcement in the society we live in we're so sort of above the shoulders generated in terms of Oh, if you work in a corporate job and you overachieve, even if it's bad for your health, you'll get accolades and you'll get more money and or whatever else. But I actually think it's the same instance that she was mentioning where she turned up at that guy's house and she just had that gut feeling that it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And we've been taught to ignore that. I do think that that comes a point where you have to listen to your body, basically. Absolutely. And I would be very surprised if all three of us haven't had that moment of this does not feel right. Oh, um, yeah. On that Nolly Madeline where she wakes up and she's like, something is not right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even on dates, like sometimes, you know, somebody will say something and you'll be like, oh, it's not like the biggest red flag in the world, but I just, I'm put off. I've got the ick. Yeah. It's just something where you're like, oh, no, I don't like that. And the worst thing is when you don't want the ick. Yeah. But you get it. Like when you're dating someone new and they just give you the ick and you're like, no, 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 I can't get rid of it. And you suddenly repulse me. Yeah. If we have any young listeners listening and you're at a guy's house and it feels off, be rude and please leave. Go home, go home girls. It's not if worth it. If you can't it. go home, go to a friend's house. Yeah. Get Absolutely. your butt out of that situation. Yeah. If you are banging someone, if you are having sex with someone, you should 
a hundred percent be like, yes, into this. Yeah. Put your dick in here. That the you whole be time. <laughs> so into it. If at any point you are not into it, then they are not getting into you. Agreed. Absolutely. Agreed. Because I <laughs> least eloquent things I've ever said. <laughs> did, did I but, say dick? I feel like I said dick. dick. <laughs> Don't take the dick. If you get the ick. If you get the ick. Don't take the dick. Uh, Do do we have any final thoughts on the book? It was just a roller coaster of thought and feeling, and I I couldn't put it down. I think that's always a good sign. It was so deeply personal. For me, what I found fascinating were all the explanations she gave for, like, her actual lifestyle and the snippets into that lifestyle. So I loved hearing her point of view about someone who's submissive versus someone who's asubmissive and what actually goes on in her sessions. Someone like a layperson like me, who's not really exposed to this world, I don't see what happens in these sessions. So it's just fascinating to see that kind of lifestyle and see something like, I just go about my business and wear, like, M&S cardigans, and she's here and fucking leather all the time it just made me think god I just want a bit of that life like not necessarily stuff up my ass but just you know (laughs) some of the fashion maybe and just the like not giving a fuck attitude and just going into things purely for pleasure and having so much fun and the mad stuff she gets up to and she just laughs it off that I found so engaging and thrilling and kind of sad and poignant at the same time when it goes wrong for her and she's just so raw with her emotions and everything but just seeing this other way that she lives and I I don't know for me as a very average run-of-the-mill person I was like I fucking really enjoyed it it was a great read and uh I'll probably give it a four out of five yeah I would definitely say four out of five is fair um I resonated with it quite a lot I just love her Miss Marilyn if you're listening absolutely can we please go for wine you sound like a fucking legend I feel like I'd be one of those submissives she talks about where she's like oh like simps just like flock to me I'd be that simp I'd be that average person who's like I need something I need to feel something (laughs) you are now my world (laughs) um, no I think she's amazing she seems awesome and the book's fab and I, I very much look forward to the second one and yes we would love to have you on the podcast if you're listening and I probably will call you at some point in the future I would give it a four out of five only because for me it wasn't long enough I wanted more yeah. that's my reason for giving it four and not five but I know that there's more coming so I will impatiently wait for the second volume as someone who professionally put things up their ass I can tell you Emma it gets old real fast yes. <laughs> So does wearing latex. Latex is hot. It's uncomfortable. Um, you know, I mean, I hate wearing bras in general. So when I would have to put fucking makeup on and a bra for a can set, I would really resent everyone that I had to do it for. <laughs> um, so while I didn't get that side of it, I have never been a professional dominatrix. So I found her stories really, really interesting. Uh, I think that is one thing that's holding me back from giving it a five. I'm going to give it a 4.5. Um, I'm not going to give it a five because whilst I didn't want to get rid of any of the more poignant personal stuff, I would have liked more stories from when she was doming. Yes. Um, well, yeah. I would have liked more anecdotes. There's nothing to say that that's not coming in the future volumes. Um, but for me to give a book a five would have to be really life changing for me. And whilst it was thoroughly enjoyable, I wouldn't describe it as necessarily life changing. So it's no. a 4.5 from me. 
no but glorious. I would say it's not for everyone and I'm sure people will read it and be absolutely fucking disgusted by it and be don't like, read it if so... you're like a Christian or yeah <laughs> well, even what if you're just a bit of a sensitive person and you don't like hearing stories about people shitting themselves like just don't <laughs> go near it just read like Little House on the Prairie or something, you know? So I would say the opposite. And I would say, simps, give yourself a little bit of spice in your life. Just give this a go. I really would love um, any comments, any thoughts. We have a handle, which is at Bookmarks and Booze, wherever there is available to leave comment. Let us know what you think about this one. We would really love it if people read it and gave us their opinion. I think it would be cool to, to hear what people had to say about this because, um, you know, we have such a little inner circle where we will talk about absolutely anything, the three of us as friends anyway. Disgusting. We're so gross and we don't care. We're very proud. Um, but yeah, we'd love to hear what the general populace has to say for sure. So what are your thoughts? We want to hear from you. Leave a comment or tag us through Instagram at bookmarks and booze or email us at bookmarksandbooze at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week for more books, booze and brutal book reviews.